this mean it's over? Does this mean he likes me? Are butterflies good? Am I ever gonna meet someone? I'm tired of swiping. Am, Am I, I normal? normal? We are trying each other on. It shouldn't just be trying our best to show how worthy we are. You can keep waiting for the fairy tale, or you can get on board with the new rules of relationships. If you read my advice in the LA Times, then you know this ain't your mama's love advice. This is Dates and Mates with Damona Hoffman. Hello, lovers. Welcome to another relatable episode of Dates and Mates. Dating is sometimes just a string of mistakes and learning experiences and, you know, the ups and downs, whether it's figuring out how to flirt or navigating the nuances of a new relationship or learning how to read subtle cues. It's really all trial and error. But who says it has to be all seriousness? What if, instead of internalizing our setbacks, we took a moment to laugh at them? They say laughter is the best medicine, and that's why my guest today is and host of the comedy stage show Tinder Live, Lane Moore. She'll be joining us to talk about her new book, You're Not the Only One Effing Up, Breaking the Endless Cycle of Dating Mistakes. But first, we are serving up another delightful dish. Can talking about finances actually unlock successful relationships? And then later in Dear Demona, I'll answer this question. People often say boring equals healthy, but are there ever times that this just isn't true? All right, pull up a chair and get ready because they say love don't cost a thing. It's time to dish. These dating dish. Is talking about finances actually good for your relationship? In a blog that I wrote for WISE, which is a global money account, it allows you to send money across borders without hidden fees, all that good stuff. And they asked me to talk about how finances can unlock successful relationships. So I thought, why not bring it in here and share the knowledge with my dates and mates audience as well? It's been an interesting trend to watch finances go from something that was completely off the table in dating to something that is now being prioritized. I actually saw a trend for this term that folks are calling financial flames. A financial flame is someone who prioritizes financial goals. You know, I'm always talking about having shared goals and shared values as something that is a pillar of a long-term successful relationship. Well, we're now seeing that finances as part of those goals and as part of those values are being front-loaded in the conversation. Just in the last few years of coaching, I have seen a tremendous shift in the discussions around money and also the way that money shows up on dates. So I was first interviewed maybe seven years ago for an article about going Dutch on dates. Going Dutch meaning we split the check. Now, it used to mean if you asked to split the check, you probably weren't that interested. Or like, girl, he would broke. <laughs> One or the other. It wasn't a good sign for the relationship. But now as people are dating more, and you've heard me say on the show before, people are dating at faster rates. They're dating more people. They're having more conversations. And really dating itself has accelerated. So you can't really expect someone to pay for all of the dates if instead of going on a couple of dates a year or let's say one date a month, you're now doing two dates in a weekend. The norm has shifted more towards splitting the check or to trading where one person pays for the first date, one person pays for the second date. And as 
particularly women, have become more financially independent. I'm also seeing that women don't necessarily want their check to be taken care of for them because what are the expectations that come with that and what does that say about the relationship? Now, I see money is a proxy for other things. And in this article that I wrote for Wise, I acknowledge that money is identified as a leading cause of marital conflict, but it also is a leading cause of dating conflict. Because when we look at money as a proxy, meaning money stands for something else, money stands for power, money stands for influence, money stands for secrecy, money stands for agency, money usually isn't the actual problem, but it is something that we use as a tool to show how we're feeling, to say what we don't feel like we can say aloud. So a couple of the tips that I outline in this article around having a financially healthy relationship, first is open communication. And I have seen this go totally sideways for couples who are not communicating about money, where one partner is spending on things that the other partner doesn't value. That's going back to the pillars, right? Or the other partner is is um, spending behind somebody else's back or hiding accounts. I've seen that as well. So we need to be communicating about money, not because the money is so important, because the money stands for something else. I also talk in this article about establishing financial goals together. So when, so if we're thinking money stands for something else and we know that we have shared goals and shared values, how can you use money as a, as a powerful tool, as a positive tool to motivate you both towards your shared goals? And then you have communication around that. This may show up in terms of having joint accounts, or this may just be about having more communication around what you're building towards together. And lastly, I also say in this article, you got to choose the tools that work for you. And like my husband and I have a whole tech stack of tools that we use to communicate about money. We also have kids. So we have tools where we communicate about money with our children. And there are so many tools now that are available, whether whether it's wise enabling you to be in a long distance relationship across borders and send money to your partner for a gift or for just a gesture for them, or whether it's about having some sort of a tool that tracks your spending and shows you and your partner transparency on how you're spending your money, we need to be talking about it more often because of that power dynamic that I was talking about because because of money being its own language in a way. So we need to become fluent in this language of money to really fortify future relationships because this conversation around money is not going away. And especially in a time when a lot of people are having financial insecurity, I I get a lot of questions here on Dates and Mates from people who feel like they can't date, they're not ready to date because they don't feel like they have a good handle on their finances. So just know you're not alone. There are other people out there that are going through the same things, but maybe you can find a financial flame and work on your shared financial goals together. 
When we come back, we're going to have some fun with author and comedian Lane Moore. She's going to be talking about her new book, You're Not the Only One Effing Up, Breaking the Endless Cycle of Dating Mistakes. Stick around. Hey, 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 lovers. Before we get into the interview, I just wanted to remind you that my new book, F the Fairy Tale, is available in bookstores everywhere. It is available as an audiobook. It is available as an ebook. And man, the feedback I've gotten on this book in the last month that it's been out has really fueled my soul because it has reminded me why I do this work, why I host this podcast, why I am here to help you and support you in dating. So I just want to ask if you have read the book or listened to the book. Yes, audiobook reading does count as reading. <laughs> You don't have to read with your eyes. You can read with your ears. However, you have read or received the book F the Fairy Tale. Let me just ask you to take two minutes to leave a review of the book wherever you have read it, whether that's on Amazon or to leave a review on Goodreads or on Barnes and Noble or on Audible, because just you leaving the review and telling people how F the Fairy Tale has changed your life, how you've enjoyed listening to it, how your perspective has changed, that is going to help me continue to heal more hearts and to continue to do this work to serve you. So thank you for reading F the Fairy Tale, however you like to read. And thank you so much for taking the time to leave me a review on the book. All right, we are back with Lane Moore. She is an award-winning writer, actor, comedian, and host of the I Thought It Was Just Me podcast on Patreon. Her best-selling books are titled How to Be Alone, If You Want to, and Even If You Don't, and You Will Find Your People, How to Make Meaningful Friendships as an Adult. Her comedy show Tinder Live has been praised by The New York Times, Spin Magazine, Entertainment Tonight, CBS, Time Out New York, and New York Magazine. Please help me give big smooches to my guest, Lane Moore. Hi, so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad that you're here, and I'm so glad yeah. to talk to you about your new book. You're not the only one effing up, breaking <laughs> the endless cycle of dating mistakes. You know, I've been talking about dating mistakes for a minute, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you've been living it, and you know, you've been also you've been living it live through. Tinder Live. Let's just start there before we dive into the book. Tell everybody a little bit about Tinder Live and like why why you'd want to put yourself out there like that. <laughs> There's only one good answer for for why you'd want to do that. Uh so Tinder Live is I go on a projector screen. I put my dating app profile on a projector screen. We're swiping live uh through the dregs. <laughs> The audience chooses, that's the correct word, uh, the audience chooses whether I swipe right or left on somebody, and then we match and we chat in real time. Now, uh, Tinder Live is very different from the way that you would swipe at home with your friends because we are only swiping right on like the most chaotic men's profiles that you would never, ever swipe right on. The ones that are yelling, the one where there's like a naked man cuddling a dead deer, the one where there's just a guy holding up a bunch of fish he caught. We're swiping right on all the guys that you're like, ugh, who would ever swipe right <laughs> on that? It's me. So it's really taking that and turning it into something cathartic and really funny. There is an element of Tinder Live that is also educational. Like, I think mm. that's one of the the things that makes the show great is it's not coming from a cynical place and it's known for not coming from a cynical place. So 
there are sometimes a guy will have like the worst profile or not the worst profile, but we'll have a profile that's not great. And we'll end up talking to him and he's like secretly cool. And I'm like, please hire me because I have notes. This is not a good profile. But then we get to have those conversations with the audience and be like, here's what I don't love about this. Here's how he could have done this better. So um, it's not that I think that it's, you know, exclusively horrible people. Of course not. Of course that's, that's never true really with anything. But I do think there are a lot of profiles on there that are really missing the mark and are really exhausting to read. Yeah, totally. It, it all could be so much better if, if people you know, just had that awareness. So I love that you're entertaining people, but you're also educating people at the same time. And you're exactly. doing the same thing in your book. You're not the only one effing up. It, You know, it, it, I, I wanted to start with Tinder Live because it does feel like it comes from a similar place of reminding people that you're you're not the only one seeing these things and bringing other people into the the experience so that everybody can sort of rise up together. Totally. There was something in the book. We'll just, we'll just begin at the beginning, chapter one, because as a, as a dating coach, I get a lot of questions about red flags. Literally just yesterday I was on an interview and she was like, can we talk about red flags? And I was like, I do not want to, I do not <laughs> want to, because kind of similar to what I was saying before, like when you focus your mind towards something, then you see more of that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so if you're like, I'm looking for red flags, because we're always looking at reasons to say no, Yeah, then you're going to see them. And I like that you really broke down in your book, like some of these red flags that are not actually even red flags. Right. So let's talk about that. <laughs> I think a lot of what I do is for people who hate oversimplified toxic positivity advice because I do too. And so a lot of what I see get traction online is like, ladies, this is a red flag and this is always bad. And I'm like, what are you talking about? There's no one thing that you can say is always bad. There's so many people's love stories that, you know, they lied about this thing, but it was for a good reason. Like we can't, or, you know, they were, uh, they checked their phone, but it was because they like, we're nervous or whatever it is. But but this kind of binary, really rigid thinking that like if someone ever does this, they're a cheater. Or I, what? Not necessarily. You have to. I just don't agree with that kind of black and white. But it's very popular because like I get it. I, I have so much empathy for it. People want to spare themselves from any further pain. So if somebody promises, hey, if you do this or you don't do this, you're guaranteed to have this. I don't believe that's real though. I think that's a lie that's like going to make you feel better for a minute. And then you're going to realize that's not actually true. And then you're going to feel kind of scammed. That's, a, that's how, at least how I feel with stuff like that. Yeah. You're definitely speaking my language lane. And <laughs> I'm the same. I'm like, look, you know, I, I just wrote a book about the biggest dating myths. And one of them is the rules myth, which is basically this, like, oh, okay, I'll just play these rules and then I'll get the result. But it's like, it's, it's, you make your own rules in dating. And we, we are in such a hurry to like have a hack for yeah. love that we're just like, oh, okay. Like I saw this on TikTok. So that, that I'm going to do that. Cause that must be true. Can I, right. can I go through a couple of the red flags that are not yeah. necessarily red flags? Okay. If he's not close with his mom, I hate this one so much. And so, um, so much, so much, uh, for, it just has so many levels. So, uh, 
my first book is called How to Be Alone If You Want to and Even If You Don't. And I talk a lot about this because I had a really rough upbringing. Um, and I talk a lot about the idea that you're only a good person or trustworthy or like, like if you're really close to your family, like, guess what? Having a really great family, being born into a really great family, lottery. You just got lucky. Sorry, you just got lucky. There is no, oh, well, you deserved it. You don't deserve it bullshit. You just got lucky. We have these really limited ideas of this. And so, you know, if a man isn't really close to his mom, well, what if his mom was abusive? What if his family, what if they're estranged? What if they're dead? Now, are we saying this person is not dateable? Maybe, maybe if this person's not close to these people, they had to make the very difficult choice to pull away from a toxic situation and Find that self-love. All of this is not easy. And it does make you a more compassionate, more aware, more sensitive person. Why would you not want that in a partner? Yeah, I think it's just that people are looking for these shortcuts. Mm -hmm. So we think, oh, it's the same thing when like my clients will say, my date asked me why I got divorced mm. if they're divorced. And it's like, okay, first of all. <laughs> Not first date fodder. Not that was on the first date. Wow, ain't your business. He's getting, not, he's getting you know, right to it. <laughs> but you know, does he really want to know the story? Does he really want to know the story? No. And also, he wants like the Cliff's notes, like warning signs, is what he wants. Yeah, he just wants to know, girl, are you crazy or are we? Are, like, am I yeah. going to invest in this? And we're trying yeah. to shortcut it. So yeah. yeah, totally. You don't choose your family, and. No. I, th I think what we're trying to shortcut is like, are they going to be a good partner for me or are yeah. they going to be supportive? But it negates someone's ability to navigate, as you were saying, in their own way. There's plenty of people who are close with their families and are really shitty partners. A hundred percent. Okay. This one was really interesting to me because of your response to it. Um, it's a red flag if they don't make eye contact with you on your date. And yeah. you say, Lane, you say for some people who are neurodivergent or just nervous or bad at making eye contact, it doesn't mean what we take it to mean. And I, I think we haven't talked enough about neurodiversity yeah. in dating. Like I love the show Love on the Spectrum and we've, uh, we've talked about it on the show before, but um, that is a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a very real thing. And it's like if people, you know, people have anxiety that it's, it's, I have always had a hard time making sustained eye contact, which eye am I looking at? Which one's the normal way to look like it's exhausting and not everybody does that. And I really don't know when that became this like warning sign that like, oh, you're not making full eye contact with a virtual stranger for 60 plus minutes. You must be hiding something like I, what? What? <laughs> Why? No, and then there's the other end of the spectrum of like, if you are looking at them too much, then right. is that creepy? It's like, where am, I, right. where am I supposed to look? Where do I look? Just tell me how long, how many seconds? <laughs> right, and it's like, we're focusing on all these things that I don't, I just don't know that these are really what matters. And I, I don't think that it is. And you could have somebody who does all these right and, you know, is not a good fit for you. It's very strange. Yeah, it is strange. Okay, this one is also strange slash funny, and we've talked about it on this show before. Um, cats. Oh yeah. oh yeah, cat guys, cat dudes. Yeah. So I I shared some research that men who have cats in their profiles or say they have cats in their profiles, 
um, get fewer messages. And, yeah. um, you know, cat pod, cat Twitter, cat talk, <laughs> it came for me, Lane. And I'm like, look, I'm not saying don't date a guy with a cat. I'm just saying these are the stats. This is what right. <laughs> this is what I'm seeing in the data. But people are interpreting it in a whole different way, aren't they? Oh, yeah, absolutely. To me, it's so obvious what that is. It's because we think of cats as being a more feminine animal, like having a more feminine energy than a dog. If a man had a, has a dog, we're like, ooh, he's hot. He's cool. Because we think of that as having a more masculine energy, generally speaking. We even do this with women. Like, oh, you're going to die surrounded by your cats. Woman with too much feminine energy. Worst thing that could happen. No one ever says that about dogs. Like, you're going to just be with a bunch of dogs. That sounds fun. <laughs> You know, so like, that sounds great. You did a good job. Good job with all your dogs. Sounds like a, a lot. Sounds like a lot of pet hair and. But it, comparatively, like, even you like you feel what sounds better, you know, and it's it's literally that. So we're really just looking at me like mm, too soft. I don't know, because they're both just animals. So I don't I don't. I don't see that as a red flag. Like that means somebody is like caring for an animal every day and we're calling this guy undateable wouldn't you want somebody who like cares for an animal that mind you cats don't just like anybody you have to really work for it why would that not be an attractive trait in a man somebody who's willing to work until you like him and give him a chance why would that not be positive so true all right cat guys you heard it here <laughs> Yeah, so I got you <laughs> we got we got you if you're not looking for red flags then lane we're looking for green flags so can you give us, I know you talk about it a lot in the book, but can you give us some of the green flags that would be more informative? I really just look at the way that somebody makes you feel. I know that we are not, you know, women specifically, we're not programmed to do that. So many of us have been so heavily programmed to focus on like, am I making him happy? Does he feel good? Have I done a good job of making this other person feel really good and feel really safe? And you know, I always like to remind people something that I wish somebody had told me sooner, which is to really, really give yourself permission to focus on how this person's making you feel. Give that, like, give yourself permission to sit back and really see what is this person bringing to the table? Because I know so many years I would be on dates with people and I'd be like, that date went great. I was awesome. And it's like, Damn it. This is not a, an unpaid performance for me. This is this was not me, you know, doing a little show for them. I think that's that's so much of how we're socialized. We are socialized to be like the best best date. But we really need to look at it as like we are trying each other on. Mm -hmm. There should be room for me to be impressed by you and you're impressed by me and we're enjoying how we're interacting. It shouldn't just be Trying our best to show how worthy we are is another thing also. Um, you know, so if we notice that that feeling has kind of eased and we don't feel like we have to prove it and we feel like this part, it's very natural and, you know, we're, we're able to kind of relax a bit and be ourselves because I notice, you know, when I was going on these dates where they were awkward and the person was kind of silent and wasn't really fun. I thought I would make up for that by being fun enough for both of us. I th I know so many, I hear from so many women who do this and it's like, we're trying to make the date fun for them and also us. And it's like, actually, we could have just walked out. Like the second you notice that you're doing that, the second you notice that you're like, 
oh, well, this kind of sucks. I'm filling a lot of dead space. This person isn't that fun. Well, I'll make it fun. No, leave, leave, leave. Quit. The, this isn't a job. This is, yeah. this is an interview. If it's that bad. And then that's, that's where it comes back to, to paying attention to how it makes you feel. If, if you're feeling like, ugh, I got to save this. No, you don't. You can go. Yeah. I, I so agree with you. And I, we, I don't know if it's like politeness or just not having the words to exit. I mean, I've talked on the show uh, many times about how I feel like people are overstaying their welcome on first dates, like just staying way too long where it, it just starts to have diminishing returns. Even if you think it's going well. Yeah. A lot of times it's not. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, there was also something in the book that re really resonated for me based on a lot of the questions that I get here on Dates and Mates. Um, you talk about not falling in love with someone's potential. Oh, yes. And, yes. <laughs> you know, this, like, we, it, it's kind of related to my book and the stories that we tell ourselves. Like, we want to finish the story so badly. We'll literally fill in the gaps with the things that could happen and not hear the things that are right there in front yep. of us. Why do we, why do we do this lane? Why? Because we want to be done. We want to be done. We want to have our person. And so it's very easy to just be like, well, I don't know. You're here and you got some good stuff going on. I'll just ignore the rest and write the rest of the script in my mind. And now we're soulmates. Uh-oh. Now you're diverting from the script and you're doing some weird stuff. That's not in my script. I'm going to pretend you didn't say that. Like we don't want to go back out there and start again. I I fully understand it. I've done it myself, but it is such flawed thinking that we, you know, and so much of it too is from this pressure that the world puts on us. Definitely tenfold for women to be like, well, you know, you're not getting any younger. You're running out of time. You got to do this by a certain point. You can't just, oh, you're too picky. You can't just throw them, keep throwing them back out there. You're going to run out of options. Are you kidding me? And so I like to bring these up in my books and and things I talk about because I want people to remember these are not a failing of our own minds. You know, if if we start to think of it as like, oh, why am I doing that? I'm so stupid. Oh my God. Yeah, why am I doing that? We go into this cycle of blame and shame and, you know, self-hatred. No, I really want people to remember we didn't put a lot of this stuff here. We are the product of so much pressure that the world is putting on us that we don't even usually agree with. So when I find myself doing that and I'm like, oh, if you're in that situation with somebody where you are filling in the script for them and, you know, making up romantic things they could do instead of appreciating romantic things they actually do, if they're even doing them. I've done that many times where I've been like, wouldn't it be sweet if this person did this? And it's like, are you falling in love with your own fictional creation of this real person? Yes. <laughs> but but it's like, we're just, we're taking these little scraps and we're trying to make a dream person. And it's like, no, no, they should come fully formed. But, you know, you can only really get there once we start to kind of silence a lot of this conditioning and really shore up that self-love and patience. And that's that's really when it becomes a lot easier to kind of separate ourselves from that pressure and that settling, that chronic settling. Yeah. Well, I love how you approach this in the book. I love that you really bring the reader along on the journey with you and you make 
them feel like they're not alone in this experience. I also love everything you just said about the stories and and how so much of it doesn't even belong to us and how you also unpack gender dynamics and societal expectations and so much more in this book. So it's a wonderful read and I I could talk to you all day about it, but <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll let people go and read it for themselves. Again, the book is called You're Not the Only One Effing Up, Break the Endless Cycle of Dating Mistakes. Thank you so much for being here, Lane. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Be sure to check out the Tinder Live Tour. Dates are listed at lanemore.com. That's L-A-N-E-M-O-O-R-E.com. And check out her new ebook and audiobook. You're not the only one effing up, breaking the endless cycle of dating mistakes. It is out now and available exclusively from Everand. Look for the link in the show notes. In a moment, I'll be back to answer the following listener question. Is boring always the sign of a healthy relationship or can boring just be boring? <laughs> I promise you it will not be boring when I tell you the answer to this. Welcome back, lovers. I love your questions. Thank you so much for submitting. And so many folks have been submitting through Spotify. P.S. Thank you, Spotify, for the feature a couple weeks ago. And if you're listening on Spotify, don't forget to leave us a rating and review there. But it's still going down in the DMs. I have gotten so many questions at Demona Hoffman on Instagram. And this question today is one of them. Dear Demona. Demona, help me. This one comes to us from an anonymous listener in an Instagram DM. She says, I love your podcast. It is the highlight of my Tuesday mornings. Yes, queen. And I thoroughly respect your thoughtful, mature advice. Okay, I won't tell you about <laughs> all the immature things I do in my off time. <laughs> all right, here's the question. Could you add some nuance to the popular boring equals healthy advice? I understand it from an attachment perspective, but let's assume I've done the inner work and I have. Can't boring just sometimes equal boring? I fully agree with your four pillars and wonder where things like intellectual connection and humor slash laughter fit in because they aren't often addressed in dating advice. I am rarely attracted to someone for their physical appearance. The, quote, spark for me is good conversation that at least occasionally goes deep and laughter. So if that's not there after one or two phone calls and or dates, I usually end things. Am I being short-sighted? I always try to give the benefit of the doubt, but it's such a fine line between giving a connection time to bloom and leading someone on, which I've been accused of. Thanks. Can boring just be boring? <laughs> yes, obviously it can. I, I just want to unpack some of this advice. Like, I know we love TikTok. We love Instagram. I know I'm I'm speaking to you from a podcast. So um, we're hungry for advice, for shortcuts, for hacks, for red flags, for green flags, for icks, for all of the things. But don't believe everything you read and certainly don't believe everything you see on TikTok. And that boring equals healthy advice, I think, is is really truncated, right? I do not think boring equals healthy. That's wrong. Let's just relabel that. That is just wrong. It's that you should not be chasing highs and lows and unpredictability, as many of us have been sort of conditioned to do, that that equals unhealthy. But the absence of that, the void that that leaves is not boring. The void that that leaves is not toxic connection, okay? So we just have to reframe this idea of boring equaling healthy. 
What are we going for? We are going for our nervous system feeling safe. We are going for a feeling of connection. And I know because you know the four pillars that you probably have already read F the Fairy Tale, and you know that we are pursuing curiosity over chemistry. So you tell me, anonymous listener, how you get curiosity out of a boring date. Can't do it, right? Doesn't compute. So if we can just reframe that, that we're we're not going for boring, nothing's happening. We're going for not weak in the knees, butterflies, can't speak, can't think chemistry. We're going for like, huh, I'm curious. I want to know more about this person's mind, the way they think, the way they look at the world. I want to laugh more with them. I want to see how deep these conversations can go. I'm using all of your words, of course, you know. Um, But whatever it is that makes you feel that sense of connection, when you are left at the end of the date wanting more of that, that's when you know you've got to lean into the three-date rule, which I also talk about in F the Fairy Tale. The three-date rule states, if you are still curious at the end of the first date about this person, you go on to the second date. If you're still curious at the end of the second date, you go on to the third date. If by the end of the third date, you are not feeling some sort of pull for physical connection, you're not feeling a deeper level of curiosity, chemistry connection, however you want to define that, then you know you've given it the old college try. Never in that did I say you want to go on a third date or beyond if you feel that person is boring. (laughs) Okay? So there's a big reframe here in what we are pursuing. Now, I do want to just acknowledge you said you've been accused of leading someone on. So we do have to sort of take responsibility when we get feedback. I don't know if you've heard that once. I don't know if you've heard that multiple times. But when we start hearing something more than once, that's when we start to identify a pattern that gives us an opportunity to look at our own behavior and our choices, and we can then adjust and dial that in differently. So there's a big space between giving the connection time to bloom and leading someone on. And I think the nuances in how you're ending those dates and how you're building anticipation in between dates, how can you stay in a space of discovery without making it seem like a pursuit or um, giving someone false hope? Like continuing to communicate, I'm still just getting to know you. Like I'm enjoying getting to know you. Let's see where this goes. I also have to address, if you are having two phone calls, prior to meeting this person face-to-face, please stop. (laughs) This is for anyone. Please stop. We need to be out in the real world, really seeing that connection in real time. Now, of course, if this is a long-distance situation, that's sort of different, but you're going to use video dates as the next escalation after you've done a phone call until you can meet in person, which needs to be within the first two months. Um, because we don't want to develop a false idea of who someone is. But if you are in the same, reasonably same location, let's say a two-hour drive away or less, you've got to get into the real world. One phone call, 15 to 20 minutes, that's it. And then it needs to end in a plan for how you are actually going to see one another in the real world because we don't need phone buddies and pen pals. 
We are going for real connection. So it sounds like you're on the right track here, but you just need to dial in a couple of these elements to continue to conserve your energy for the ones that make you feel comfortable and safe, but also feel like a good use of your time. Like, yeah, I want you to laugh on your dates. Yeah, I want you to feel a connection. I want you to feel like you're having a deep conversation. And I know that's possible for you. And I know it can, if you have that foundation, it can grow into something even deeper. So stick with it. Pay attention to the feedback you're hearing. See how you might be able to dial in your dating approach from there and continue to just have fun with it. I hope you had fun with episode 496 of Dates and Mates. And if you have a question, the DMs are open at Damona Hoffman on TikTok, X, Facebook, and Instagram. The phone lines are open at 424-246-6255. The Q&A box is open on Spotify. And I am always here to help you and support you. Don't forget to leave that review of F the Fairy Tale if you've already read the book and you love it. And if you haven't gotten F the Fairy Tale yet, don't forget to check it out at your favorite bookstore or on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Audible, or wherever you love to get your books. We will be back again next Tuesday with Jennifer Cook from Netflix's hit series Love on the Spectrum one of my favorite shows. She'll be talking about how to read social cues and to learn all of the nuances of the process of dating. Until next week, I wish you happy dating.